In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for The true presence of Jesus with us in the Blessed Sacrament always takes on a special meaning. But if it ever is to take on a special meaning, it's today during this octave of the celebration of the ultimate victory of Jesus, his resurrection from the dead. And being sensitive to the whispers of the Holy Spirit, we ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you want us to contemplate in light of this resurrection? Obviously, this new evangelization is the obvious will of Christ. It's been his will ever since the incarnation. But we could almost take the liberty that there is a greater urgency in this new evangelization. Factually, we know what it is, but we meditate on what it involves. First of all, is bringing Jesus Christ into the world in a new way. It has a number of facets. Those who are practicing must make Jesus the center, that they need to come around to the truth that Jesus must be front and center in their work, in their sufferings, in their recreation. Another facet is, as moral relativism rages on, and we have the same experience, or at least a similar experience as the first Christians, that every facet of the gospel flies in the face of the culture. In that pre-Christian culture, the gospel message was so radically different than anything they experienced, anything they learned. And Jesus' timing on a natural level, you could make a case, was pretty bad. Hedonism had such a strong grip on that ancient world. And the Lord says, you can't even have a lustful desire or a lustful thought. And it almost would seem, putting it in our own lingo, Lord, are you in reality? It was a time of embracing many philosophies. And the Lord says, the greatest is the one who serves. That was something foreign. In this pre-Christian era, 
uh, sorry, post-Christian era. There's identity crisis of marriage. Given what happens to the human person, there's an identity crisis in who the person is. We all have that experience. Maybe it depends on what part of the country you're from. But it seems like virtually the great majority don't realize that Jesus is God and that the truth he teaches leads to everlasting life and fulfillment. Now, these are very good times. In what sense? I have no choice if I am going to engage in this new evangelization, and we are protagonists in this, being priests, the only response is holiness. I would say heroic sanctity. And therefore, the topic of this prayer is the, resur- the resurrection of Jesus as the icon of joy. The Holy Father, obviously, this is on his mind, and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. It's profound and simple. We need to be witnesses of joy. We ask this question in front of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, why do I have to be a witness of joy? Well, joy is always attractive, we know that. Well, I know I just can't give academic truth. I remember, I'm old enough to remember getting the contents of the Baltimore Catechism drilled into me to be able to receive my first communion. This was post-Council of Trent. And you were constantly threatened that if you don't know the contents, you're not going to receive your first communion. It was such a law. I received my first communion on Holy Thursday. That's how long ago this was. And I remember the good nun, because in those days, the teachers were infallibly correct. Things have changed. Now the... Children and the students are infallibly correct, and the teachers are infallibly wrong. But in those days, when they were infallibly correct, they would um, stamp a good angel on your hand, or sometimes on your forehead, or a bad angel. And mom and dad would want to know why the bad angel. Well, I didn't know my catechism, and usually the next day you would do better. And I remember it was a culture where we wanted to know the religious facts. We also wanted to know what was a venial sin and what was a mortal sin, and we could rattle off all these formulae what grace was, what sanctifying grace was, was that, what, what actual grace was. Jesus had two natures. We could even define transubstantiation. We couldn't pronounce the word, but we could define it. We're only seven, eight years old. And so there was a, a certain Catholic culture. It was an immigrant Catholic culture. I'm sure I came from the New York area, but I'm sure the Chicago area the same, or the, any area, you were... What 
parish do you belong to, which would define your geographic area. That's gone. This collective knowledge of the faith, of the moral teaching, sacramental teaching, dogmatic teaching, is, is gone. It's being recovered by those who convert, but it's virtually gone. And if I just lead with true information, which has its value, not that we should hold it back, it doesn't work. Working with university students, I'm dealing with millennials, and so thing, truth has to be dialogued. I need to be careful not to be judgmental because it's one of the few sins that are left. And I see that they're eager beavers in their teen years or early teen years. They didn't practice. They didn't practice because no one taught them. They weren't aware that they needed to practice. I'm talking about over the years. Some of their parents were Catholics. They've left the church. Other families are dysfunctional. And they come back. But it's kind of an interesting way they come back. When they come back, they're going to Mass during the week. And they're learning how to say the rosary. And they're purchasing their catechisms. And I always like to ask them, what got you going? And it's always someone with joy. Why the joy? Because we are Americans, and joy is a practical proof that whatever we have works. And so hence, St. Maria says in this homily he gave on Easter, 1967. Christ is alive. This is the great truth which fills our faith with meaning. Jesus, who died on the cross, has risen. He has triumphed over death. He has overcome sorrow, anguish, and the power of darkness. Easter is a time of joy. No, Christ is alive. Jesus is the Emmanuel, God with us. His resurrection shows us that God does not abandon his own. Christ is alive. He is not someone who has gone, someone who existed for a time and then passed away, leaving as a wonderful example and a great memory. I ask in prayer, Lord, what must I do to proclaim the resurrection. And let's take the liberty to hear our Lord say, well, the resurrection on a practical level must be an icon of joy. In a certain sense, you need to prove that I have overcome suffering, sin, the evil one, death, by your joy. Young people are also into temperaments. I am choleric. We don't say, I have anger issues. I am choleric. (laughs) I guess it's okay then. Or I'm sanguine, melancholic. Or I'm a phleg, as some people say. (laughs) 
so I need to learn to switch gears. This joy transcends whether we're a phleg or sanguine, cleric, melancholic. We need to be melancholic, joyful people if that's our temperament. <laughs> How do I acquire this joy? It's simple and challenging. The introduction of Jesus when he was born, I know we're in the Easter season, was announced by angels. I bring you good news of great joy. That's how he's introduced. There's no theological definition. He, he is good news of great joy. In an absolute sense, no matter what kind of suffering you encounter, he is good news of great joy. We fast forward to, humanly speaking, the saddest evening on a, the Last Supper. He's leaving. He, he has already informed his followers, at least there's a mention of it three times, that this is it. And the word sorrow is prominent in the Last Supper narrative. But this is virtually the first time that Jesus talks about joy. Joy is definitely a prominent word in the Last Supper account. And Jesus reveals his inner self. He speaks about his inner self for the first time. And he tells his apostles, I want you to have my joy. He doesn't say to the apostles, I want you to be joyful. He says, I want you to have my joy. Let me read it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. First time Jesus speaks about himself in the third person. And this is eternal life, the fullness of happiness, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Then the disciples were, excuse me, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And so we see this cloak of joy surrounding the mystery of the resurrection. Incredulity, astonishment, but joy. Seems like I'm going from the sublime to the ridiculous, but these words of Jesus were confirmed for me in Jiffy Lube. I'm always afraid to go to any auto mechanic shop or Jiffy Lube because I'm so ignorant of how these things work and I'm always afraid. They say, do you have uh, the flush done to your radiator? I said, no, uh, you're not traveling far, are you? Well, in fact, I am. When? Tomorrow, ooh, you better get it done. $80. Did you get your tires aligned? No. When was the last time? 
60,000 miles ago. Oh, I wouldn't go too far. So that, that kind of stuff. So I'm always a little afraid. And I think I could speak at least for the people who were in Jiffy Lube that particular morning. Cold, 27 degrees, 8.15 in the morning, four or five people waiting to get their oil changed, which is just the springboard for filters and <laughs> radiator flush and windshield wiper change. And one of the mechanics was in a great mood. I hope it was for the right reason. And I, I was the last one to pay, and I said to the gentleman, you know, thank you for being cheerful. He said, you've lifted up our spirits. And he said, don't give me credit. I said, well, who do I give credit to? He wasn't Catholic. He said, to the Lord. He said, uh, I'm, I've come a long way, but I spend time in prayer every morning. That happened again. Again, this is uh, in a hospital setting where I was with pretty sick people. And the gentleman registering all the patients for x-rays and things also was in a good mood. And I commended him, and he said the same thing. He said that he spends time in prayer. I tried it a third time. Third time didn't. It was a little different. I was, in a, I was having a cup of coffee with a friend, and the lady behind the counter was, you know, cracking jokes and in a good mood. And uh, I said to her, you know, hey, thanks for being so cheerful. What's the cause of your joy? Figuring I'd get another anecdote to preach on. And she said, how can I not be happy with the awesome hot chocolate we have here? <laughs> so I said, this is not going to work. <laughs> Anyway, two out of three, not bad. So, Lord, we're, I, I need to convert, and we want to, Lord. And it's not that we don't do this, and we're tempted to cut corners. Why? Well, because we're working for the Lord, and our lives could be pretty hectic. especially when you're handling two to three churches and you're driving hither and yarn. First, I need to see that a key service is that I witnessed the joy of the resurrection with my temperament and personality and with my flaws, but I witness it. I prove that Christ has risen from the dead. I prove it. I witness it. That's what a witness is. Imperfectly, but... I'm proving it. And it's kind of simple, challenging, but simple. I need to be more and more convinced that my interior life comes first. And Jesus uses the word abide. I need to abide in him. St. Maria will use two words. We need to connect with him through the bread and the word. St. John Paul who inaugurated this whole idea of the new evangelization, 
in the twilight of his pontificate, he said there's two foundations, two columns of this new evangelization, this contemplation of the face of Christ to transmit it. That's, that's what he would say. And Pope Francis says, well, what is, he says what it really means to transmit the face of Christ, to, to, to reveal the face of Christ, his joy, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is an aspect of loving with that heart of Jesus. The medium to contemplate the face of Jesus, he says, is the Eucharist and the rosary. I mean, basically, the rosary is a contemplation of the Word of God, the principal events of the gospel. I recall talking to a secular Jew. I don't know, it's kind of vague what a secular Jew is, but I think a secular Jew off and on goes to the synagogue. And an agnostic who doesn't go to church nor goes to a synagogue. And I was in a conversation, and they were asking questions about the priesthood, and I asked them, I said, what do you want to see in a Catholic priest? And they started to say, well, you know, we're not Catholics, so, you know, we don't know if we can answer that question. I said, well, try. What do you want to see in a Catholic priest? I thought they were going to say, because they're pretty smart. Well, I'd like to see you better educated. Or I want more substance. That's what I thought they were going to say. And they didn't say that. They said, I want to see happy priests. They both said it. And again, happiness is not, you know, clowning around or... Okay, I guess I have to become a backslapper. I'm an introverted person, but not, I guess I have to be a backslapper. We don't have to be a backslapper. But I need to transmit that common denominator of the face of Christ, which is his peace and joy. How do I get it? By allowing him to live in me. Again, it's not my joy he's talking about. It's my joy may be in you, and that my joy may be full. And that's how we announce the resurrection. And these are good times, because these are times where, in order to witness him, I need to be very close to Jesus Christ. I need a, a, a deep friendship with him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, but using an idea of Augustine. He says that we connect with God, we are transformed to the degree that we have desire. That's the word he uses. And he uses analogy, I think, you, you know, you're, at, you're facing a, the sea and you have a glass, and so you could scoop up a glass of seawater or a bucket. So if you have a bucket, you, you could scoop up more. If you have a barrel, you could scoop up more. The sea is, the, is, right, is standard, but your capacity to draw that water can increase to the degree that you have a greater desire. St. Teresa of Avila, I'm intimidated by her a little bit because I could just imagine this tough lady saying, 
She says you will connect with Christ to the degree that you have determination, you know, determination. St. Josemaria says struggle. He says struggle is a sign of life. It's this desire to connect with a different word, same idea. John Paul will use the total gift of self. That's my part I need to play. And when it comes to loving and when it comes to giving of myself, when it comes to desire, when it comes to struggle, when it comes to determination, which we, I want to call self-giving love, there's no limit. And I can be rest assured that I will give people an experience of Christ as we finish up. We ask our Lord for that conversion to the interior life to this contemplation of his word, even though it may be dry, and my centering on the Mass, including the Rosary, with tremendous optimism, even if I don't see tangible results. That's the victory. And they will see Christ, even with my character, with my personality, they will see Christ. And we are always on display. We know that. We go to Mary, we finish up our meditation, going to the Blessed Mother, who is depicted by St. Luke in two occasions as contemplating. And she also reveals her inner self in the Magnificat that we pray every day. And what does she say? My heart is joyful. Mary, pray for us, Mother of Priests, that we pursue your Son, we seek your Son with a greater eagerness. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.